Welcome back to Revved Up for Sunday, everyone. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And I'm John Kennedy. And we have here, uh, we're facing the Feast of the Transfiguration, which falls every year on August 6th. And uh, this year, serendipitously, we have it on a Sunday. So we put all other readings aside and hold up this beautiful text, which usually we hear in Epiphany. Um, So we get it here in this muggy summer Sunday. Um, it's not such a great mountaintop experience. I'd call it kind of a downer of a mountaintop experience. I don't know. Okay. But yeah. that's, I mean, I know, I know uh, that's maybe a new take for some people, but uh, we'll talk about it. All right, let's hear the text. This is from Luke 9, 28 to 36. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Mm. I know I gave us a little angle to begin with, but Mm -hmm. um, I I don't have to start with that. I just just read this in a new way this year. And um, do you want to start? And then I'll I'll launch in with maybe that point. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's so many places we could start. even though this is taking us out of Matthew, it doesn't actually take us really off course story-wise. This is Luke's gospel, but as we've probably covered extensively in this podcast, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty similar. And uh, this falls in about the part of of Matthew's telling of Jesus' story that that we just left off in. So in other words, Jesus has called his disciples, he's teaching, he's healing, he's facing some opposition. Questions about who he is uh, have begun to arise, uh, both in Matthew and uh, in uh, the the preceding chapters in Luke um, that that come before today's passage. Um, So we're we're basically continuing the story, um, which is a nice synchronicity. Another interesting synchronicity is that, um, as Elizabeth, you mentioned, uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration is August 6th every year, regardless of the day of the week. It's obviously usually not a Sunday, um, but this year it is, and uh, it it takes precedence uh, on a Sunday because it's not a feast of a saint or something. It's a feast of our Lord, as as we call it, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that um, since Sunday is always a feast of our Lord, that it's fitting for the Transfiguration to be the feast of the day. now, you know what else happened on August 6th? I'm taking this in a weird direction really quickly, but um, Hiroshima, the Ooh, bombing of Hiroshima, right. oh, the, the nuclear, yeah. of course, bombing wow. of, of Hiroshima that helped end World War II, uh, obviously a very different sort of transfiguration. And different kind of cloud. A different kind of cloud. <laughs> and this summer, like in a few days or something, 
the movie Oppenheimer's coming out, which is about one of the scientists who worked to develop um, the first nuclear weapons and who uh, uh, was, was his conscience was tortured mm-hmm. uh, because of that. Um, and he quoted the Bhagavad Gita, uh, scriptures from a different religious tradition, um, saying, I am become death destroyer of worlds. Wow. Um, expressing his, his sorrow and, and the sense of, of foreboding. Uh, just that to say that we can and do transfigure our world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is a very different sort of transfiguration, but I think it gives some weight to the idea that um, transfiguration of reality, which we should probably sort of unpack a little bit, um, is possible. And mm-hmm. it's on offer um, in a life-giving, good way, good news sort of way here, um, but we usually do it in, in other sorts yeah. of ways. Uh, so that's that's wow. some of my initial thoughts. That's on, an intense on this setup. That, that's and, and this year. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for the context and for the reminder about Hiroshima. That's even doubling down on where I was going to go, which mm. is that when they get up on this mountain, the topic at hand is Jesus' death. You know, right. yes. and so it's it is also the the glorification the kind of revelation epiphany of who jesus is which Mm -hmm. is obviously transcends any any his death and and all death but but the topic at hand is um kind of an an affirmation that he's on the path he's on and it's it's okay like this is um this is the way his life is going and um, God is with him through it and it's going to have meaning, you know, and, um, for the disciples, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, as you said, they're, you know, they've, this chapter follows the, you know, people wondering who he is and everything. Um, and it's interesting. They our lectionary leaves off the little phrase that, that precedes this first verse. And really the, the verse says now about eight days after these sayings, mm-hmm. Jesus took with him, Peter and John and James, and they went up the mountain. Yeah. So we missed the little eight day reference, but it's significant because it ties to the idea possibly that, you know, the eighth day is the, the day after the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. It's the day when the right. resurrection takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it's also the day that maybe signals when Christian worship was beginning to take place, held on the eighth day, you know, after the Sabbath. Because a lot of people at this time were still going to synagogues on the Sabbath, and then they would do their Christian gatherings on, on the eighth day. So who knows? But mm. there, there, there's resonance there, and, and mm-hmm. probably most significantly, it's a resurrection. Yes. Right, a resurrection tie-in. But yeah. um, So it, this passage is, is tied in many ways to both resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They, there's like two men appearing, and here it's Moses and Elijah. In this case, it's Jesus who becomes dazzling white. In those other cases, in the resurrection and ascension, it's the angels mm-hmm. who, are, who appear as two men in dazzling white clothes. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of interesting references here. Oh, so many. I mean, it's just loaded with symbolism. I mean, as you said, we have, we have the... The, the two men from the Old Testament appearing, these, these pillars of, of um, Judaic religion, Moses and Elijah. Uh, we have mountains, which are just incredibly significant religiously. Um, mm-hmm. This mountain is, is often thought to be uh, Mount Hermon, which mm-hmm. has a significance not only for Judaism, but it's in the Epic of Gilgamesh and appears in other myths and, and religious traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, of course, light, glory, white clothes, uh, white clothing, uh, uh, being uh, sort of the cu- color of heavenly garments, as as uh, you mentioned, um, the angels who uh, 
uh, appear at the site of the resurrection, mm-hmm. the empty tomb, mm-hmm. are, are clothed in, as as well as the saints, as they are described in the book of Revelation. Yeah, uh, we get a little bit more of of um, these uh, sort of a duplication of what you mentioned in the resurrection narratives at the beginning of Acts. Um, uh, tents, which which have relevance to the Exodus, mm-hmm. as as the people of Israel stayed in tents, dwellings during their wanderings. Um, and a cloud, right? And it just goes on. Uh, yeah. Sleep, all these things we could just unpack and, and do um, probably a, a solid podcast on, uh, <laughs> at least, That's right. uh, for each of them. And it's all here. It's all just sort of packed in here. Uh, yeah. This is, I think, just one of these sort of uh, archetypal stories that, that draws together uh, so much of, of what is most resonant in the human imagination when it comes to divine reality mm-hmm. and our place in, in it and, uh, and in the drama of, of being human beings uh, uh, caught up in, in relationship with, with divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but so, yes, it, it's connected to resurrection, as you're saying. And, and I, what I like is that even though, you know, of course, the crucifixion precedes the, the resurrection, the placement of the, the transfiguration story and this eighth day resonance, uh, the eighth day being also the day of resurrection, says that glory or resurrection is primary. Mm-hmm. That's that's the fundamental reality. And um, crucifixion is something that enters the picture by virtue of the world being the way it is. Right. Uh, chaotic, broken, um, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the basic reality is God's glory, uh, God's life, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it precedes creation is unblemished by all that we screw up and is where we are all ultimately being drawn mm-hmm. by God. Um, so I, I think that is a, a really good bit of good news here. Yeah. Really good bit of yeah. Good that's news. really well said. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Exodus. I mean, as, mm-hmm. as I was be- beginning to say too, before that the topic is death and the, you know, Moses and Elijah appear to talk with Jesus and they, it says they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, yeah. you know, another way of the word Exodus yes. maybe appearing is sort of a That's echo. the Greek word there, right? Exodus. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and then it says, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Peter and his companions really hear that, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I love how you said that, that, that the re- basic reality is, glory and eternity with Mm -hmm. God, or you said it differently, but in a a great way. And um, so I I think that one, to to stay in the story here, the way this story is functioning for the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples, it's it's giving them something to look back on later, Mm -hmm. because right now it's completely bewildering. But it functions for Jesus, I think, in a different way, that, that it's a gift to him to go up there and receive this kind of solid affirmation of who he is and mm-hmm. a confirmation that that his path, which must be terrifying, mm-hmm. is actually just the way it's going to go. You said it so so perfectly that, you know, it's the way the world is. And when he's going to enter the human race, um, this is the trajectory that that yeah. love gets to, gets on, you know, mm-hmm. if it's perfect love. And um so I, I really appreciate more and more as we go along through this podcast how what God, what Jesus reveals to us about God is love and forgiveness and that and all the wrong notions we have about God. Like mm-hmm. here Jesus is on a path towards being the victim of, of humanity. Yeah. And 
you know, it's not that God is out to kill his own son, No, you know, or anything like that. And it's just that, that point of view has taken such hold in the millennia of Christianity that it's so painful. And it, I think it's, it's harder to, it's easier to hear that God is love and forgiveness than it is to hear that we're wrong about what we thought God was like, or that, Mm -hmm. you know, humans think that God is angry and violent and wrathful and, you know, demanding blood sacrifices and things like that. I just, I just find that it's so hard for many people to let go of that idea. Oh, absolutely. And I just hold that out as some, something to discuss maybe, but, um, yeah. But yeah, here they're learning this is something like not blocking their path to believing in Jesus, but it's on the path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like along the way, this is where they're going. Yeah, right. It comes as something very unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear whether Jesus was expecting it. Uh, he takes some of his closest friends, closest disciples uh, up this mountain and he prays, which is so often... Um, mm-hmm. something that Jesus does before something important. Yeah. Uh, earlier, he prays all night on a mountain. So not just prayer, but prayer on a mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he prays all night on a mountain before he calls his 12 disciples. Uh, this would be the second instance of this sort of thing, prayer before revelation or discernment um, uh, in, in Luke's gospel. Later, of course, Jesus prays um, before uh, really accepting his fate in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. He wrestles with yeah. Uh, what he understands is his vocation to mm-hmm. suffer um, before entering into glory. So, so this is part of a pattern here, most definitely. And one I think we can learn a lot from. Uh, like I said, I mean, there's no indication one way or the other that Jesus saw this coming. But either way, we know that he was somebody who prayed constantly, that prayer was sort of how he recharged. Prayer fueled his, his work, his mission, mm-hmm. um, his life. And when we pray, we don't only get energy, uh, but we get clarity. We, we yeah. learn things. Uh, things sort of come into place. And prayer can be a, an occasion or a vehicle for transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Perhaps not as dramatic <laughs> as, as we see here, but nonetheless powerful, uh, perceptible, right. and um, effective in our lives. That, that something changes mm-hmm. when, when we pray. Uh, at least when we pray, uh, in a way that works for us, right? In a way right. that sort of opens the door uh, to contact with, with God. Um, yeah, absolutely. So an important thing to highlight, yeah. Yeah, he's putting himself on the path of, or yes. in, the, in, the, yes. in the zone of right. possibility of, yeah. you know, communing with God. Yeah. And I love that it's while he was praying, you know, it's so stressed that mm-hmm. this is what happens while he's praying. And um, yeah, absolutely. It's such a drumbeat in Luke, it particularly, really is. Yeah. that he withdraws to pray yeah. and takes his disciples who are always sleepy it seems like <laughs> the sleep thing is another powerful symbol there it is yeah, yeah. say yeah. more about that yeah i mean it's it's a biblical symbol that yeah. uh, no offense to people who love sleeping or sleeping in or whatever it, but it just so happens that that uh sleep is a sort of biblical mm-hmm. image for um if not sometimes sin however construed that's a whole other topic uh we'll maybe leave that alone for now but at least um forgetfulness sort of a. uh, uh ignorance mm-hmm. of, of divine reality and our, our sort of summons to live in mm-hmm. the flow, uh, mm-hmm. in the zone that, that we're, if, if we're weighed down with sleep, we're missing out. Yeah. That's an important way. Yeah. Um, I liked, yeah. you know, I mean, there's so much about 
seeing and not seeing and blindness and sight. Yeah. And I feel like sleep is one of those things. Right. It's sleeping and awaking. And Jesus says so often, keep awake. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's just the, the antithesis of that. And they're so, they're weighed down with sleep and mm -hmm. you're, you're so right. It's not just physical sleepiness. It's that, you know, kind of, um, obfuscation of their ability to really perceive or even be next to Jesus in mm -hmm. his same energy field. Um, it's interesting. I th I've read that it's a mistranslation here to say, but since they had stayed awake. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that um, it's actually possibly the opposite. They <laughs> were weighed down with sleep, and because they didn't stay awake, they did not see his glory. You know, I mean, it's... Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a weird... Um, there's some question about the translation here. Wow. But it does make sense that Peter would... Um, be wanting to make dwellings for the three, but I don't think right. they could hear the words or, or there's something about the question of whether they could really hear what was being talked about. <laughs> yeah. But, um, cause, cause Peter, you know, as he wants to make these dwellings, yeah. he's so it, to me that, that, that instinct to want to, you know, put shrines there. Yes. It functions kind of as like an instant distraction for Peter. Mm -hmm. It and, does. You know, yeah. he's going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And then this cloud comes right at that time and shuts it all down and it just silences Peter. Mm -hmm. There's no response yes. to his idea. And, um, and that it just takes it to a whole new level mm -hmm. of mystery. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah. I always love the detail that, that Peter starts blabbing mm -hmm. and then it says not knowing what he said. Like he didn't, yeah. he doesn't know what he's saying. Um, right such a tendency when we have uh, a mountaintop experience or a peak experience such as as we have in this story uh, we want to hold on to it mm -hmm. or memorialize it i mean this is you know the classic like oh got to take a picture of that exactly not always a bad thing but <laughs> right. if it keeps us from actually just receiving the grace mm -hmm. of the here and now when we're in it mm -hmm. and letting it just flow into the rest of our lives, right. um, then, then perhaps it is a distraction and, and perhaps uh, mm -hmm. uh, not, not good for, for the health of our souls. Um, mm -hmm. you and know, not just mountaintop experiences. I think anything that's sort of mysterious or something we can't understand, we want to immediately explain it away or immediately put it in a context that we can handle. Yeah. And maybe that's where he's going. Is mm -hmm. he just like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, and, and this experience is something that comes and goes probably very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, leaves a mark. Um, and he, here it just says they kept silent. I think in, in Matthew and or Mark, Jesus tells them to keep silent mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, um, yeah, completely. And I think that's a, 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 a no worthwhile one. detail to, to, to hit on here because um, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had uh, really powerful experiences, uh, spiritual experiences, or just like enjoying music or like I saw a movie or relaying any sort of moving experience of like a conversation with somebody or something that like made a mark on me. Mm -hmm. And, um, if I tried to relay it, um, to, you know, too much, uh, in, go into too much detail, try to sort of capture its essence in, in words or share it with the wrong people is really the bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Um, then it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. and sometimes it can even, um, you know, diminish uh, the memory I have of it or right. the, the, the affective, the feelingful connection I have to that. Yeah. Uh, we have to be careful about uh, how and what we share 
uh, with people. I, I uh, saw a documentary uh, about Bob Dylan. Um, he said that he kind of always knew who he would be in mm-hmm. some basic way. He didn't elaborate too much in classic Dylan fashion. Right. It's amazing that he talked about this at all. Um, yeah. he's, he's a master about not talking about mm-hmm. things. He puts it in his, his work. But uh, but anyway, he said he always kind of knew since he was a kid that, that being a songwriter um, of some importance was mm-hmm. his destiny, his vocation, but mm-hmm. he never told anybody about it. Wow. He just knew he had to keep it here. Yeah. And that if he told other people about it, they might trample on it. It might really actually mess things up. Yeah, I know that's yeah. that's a really relatable yeah. idea that you're bringing up here. Um, I also feel they, you know, they didn't, they wouldn't have begun to know what to say about it. That's true. Yeah. And that's where I was getting at in the beginning of this this episode is that I feel like this this as we talk about mountaintop experiences, we think they're kind of euphoric and high and to be celebrated and. Um, you can't wait to tell everyone about it. Yeah, in this yeah. case, it feels like something that was sobering, mm. confusing, startling, and and completely out of normal. Yeah, good point. And maybe, and, and they couldn't possibly put it into into the context of what they were experiencing. And there's no way they would understand about Jesus's departure. You know what he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Um, you know, I mean, his death was something that would be unthinkable to them at this point, and mm-hmm. they do not understand it. Yeah. And I feel like when Jesus is, you know, he, and, but what they hear is, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And so whatever is going to happen with Jesus, that has been tucked into them now. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. they see him yeah. in the context of Moses and Elijah, right. and he kind of yes. emerges as the one really to be listened to as the interpreter That's and the right. fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Yeah. And, um, you know, imagine when he's being put on trial and crucified that they're like, but you know, this is God's son. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they now have this whole other yeah. uh, way of understanding afterwards, but, um, right. Yeah. Very cool interpretation you have about, about their silence and what it means to hold things close to your chest. Mm. Wow. Well, um, this is a lot. Yeah. You've brought so many great, great insights into well, this you too. for me. Yeah. And I get to go preach on it. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks for all the good, good yeah. material. Let's um, wrap it up sure. and, and yeah. let people go explore for themselves. But uh, we can't wait to explore this in a sermon. And uh, we'll see you in church on Sunday. Have a blessed week. 